Hey there, Cramaholics. It is your host, Kenzie. I am here to cover the unsolved murder of Amanda Tusing. She was a beautiful 21-year-old female whose car was found on the St. Francis Bridge in Arkansas in the middle of the night. Three days after Amanda's car was found, her body was located in a flooded ditch just outside of her hometown in Dell, Arkansas. Her fiance, Matt, of course, was a person of interest in her case, but here it is over 20 years later and her murder is still unsolved. Amanda Tusing was born on December 6, 1979 to Ed and Susan Tusing. Amanda was described as a girl who was very outgoing, she was very fun, and always carried a smile on her face. Amanda was one of three siblings as her parents had two boys and one girl. One of Amanda's brothers she was very close with as it was her twin brother. The two of them were described as inseparable. Prior to Amanda's death, she had a very bright future ahead of her. At 21 years old, she had recently started dating a boy her age named Matt, and the two of them would get engaged just not long before her death. On the night of June 14th, Amanda and Matt were spending some time together at Matt's apartment in Jonesboro, Arkansas. The two of them did not live together just yet, so Amanda would often make the 45-ish minute commute to see Matt. On this particular night, Amanda had left Matt's apartment around 11.30 to head back to her home in Dell, Arkansas. Each time she would go to Matt's apartment, she would often take this backcountry road that had lots of farmland, so for majority of the drive, it was pretty much a rural area. When Amanda left, it was storming, and this had made Matt really hesitant about Amanda leaving, but she was pretty particular on the fact that she was going to sleep in her own bed that night and told Matt not to worry that she was going to be perfectly fine and that she would give him a call when she made it home. Amanda was well known for being the type of girl who never charged her cell phone so majority of the time. It was often dead and Matt knew that she was not going to be able to get a hold of him and he would not be able to get a hold of her on her drive home. So he asked Amanda to please call him when she got home to make sure that she was safe. Two hours would go by and Matt never hears from Amanda. He first believes that she had likely fallen asleep when she got home as the drive was an hour long and she had been tired when she had left. But being the doting, caring fiance that he was, he calls Amanda's parents' landline to confirm with her parents that Amanda had made it home and that she was in her bed asleep. When Matt calls the phone line, her mother answers the phone and Matt informed her that Amanda should have made it home over an hour ago, but he has not heard from her and asked that she go into her bedroom to make sure that she was okay. When Amanda's mother goes into her bedroom and sees that Amanda has not made it home, she gets instantly panicked and wakes up her father, Ed, and tells Ed, Amanda never made it home from Matt's house and it is storming pretty profusely and I am worried that Amanda may have gotten into a car accident or had some mechanical trouble. And Ed does not hesitate and he jumps in his car to go look for his daughter. Matt finds out that Ed is on his way to look for Amanda, so Matt also gets into his car to help look. 
Matt is in his car driving from Jonesboro, Arkansas into the direction of Dell, and her father, Ed, is in his car driving from Dell to the direction of Jonesboro. So at some point, they are hoping that along the way, one of the two of them are going to run into Amanda. When the two of them had left their homes, they had been under the assumption that Amanda had likely gotten into a car accident or maybe her car had broken down and she had walked somewhere to try and get some help. Neither of them had any type of bad thoughts. Both Matt and her father, Ed, are now driving in the same direction to head towards each other. Matt would be the first person to find any trace of Amanda. While Matt was driving in the direction of Dell, Arkansas, he comes up to the St. Francis Bridge. And on this bridge is Amanda's Pontiac Grand Am. And this is around 2.30 in the morning. This bridge is said to be the halfway point between Jonesboro, Arkansas and Dell, Arkansas. And what we need to keep in mind here is that this bridge is not in the rural area like everything else had been. This bridge was in a town where there was more people, there was lots of neighborhoods, and lots of businesses. After Matt locates Amanda's car, he gets in touch with her father, Ed, and the two of them meet in a location not where her car was found. Matt has Ed follow him over to the St. Francis Bridge. When both of them arrive at the bridge, they start to inspect her car, and what they notice is that her keys are still in the ignition, and her cell phone is laying dead on the passenger seat. Both Matt and Ed had thought to themselves, if something bad had happened to her car, why would she not take her keys with her to go get help, or even take her cell phone? Matt gets the thought in his head to start her car to see if there was anything wrong with her car mechanically, but Matt didn't notice a single thing wrong with her car mechanically, so it would made no sense for Amanda to have walked off to look for help. There was no battery light on, there was no engine light on, and her car almost had a full tank of gas. One thing that both Ed and Matt had noticed was that there was a can of Coca-Cola in the cup holder. The Coke had been bought recently because it was still a little bit cold and Matt knew that Amanda did not get this from his house. So where did Amanda get this can of Coca-Cola from? I suppose that you could assume that she had stopped to get this can of Coke maybe from a gas station, but keep in mind it is in the middle of the night almost in the middle of nowhere, and it is pouring rain and storming. So maybe the chances of Amanda actually stopping to get this can of Coke might be a little lower. Matt and Ed call the police to tell them that Amanda is missing. When the authorities arrive, they do a full examination of her car and all they find is just a few little items. There was a wedding magazine in there and a soccer ball and that was just about it. When they took her car into forensics to be examined further, they did find partial fingerprints inside Amanda's car, but these were unidentifiable. And along with the fingerprints, the police also did collect a few hairs, but again, they were not identifiable hairs. So right now, the police are assuming that there was not even a struggle in her car because there was no sign of any type of foul play. The police very much did their due diligence when it came to the search for Amanda. Many different task forces were brought in, and including volunteers. Just three days after Amanda goes missing, her family gets a call that they were not hoping for. Amanda's body had been located. 
A hunter had been out in the woods in an area called Big Bay Ditch that was roughly 14 miles west from where Amanda's car was located and 14 miles west headed back to the direction of Dell where she lived. We know that when Amanda left Matt's apartment, it was storming pretty bad and the rain had continued for several days. When the hunter was out in the woods, he was walking along the ditch when he noticed the body. He calls the police to inform them that he found a body and it could possibly be the missing girl that they have been looking for. When the authorities arrive, they assume that they are going to see some clear type of evidence as to what happened to Amanda. But when they arrive and they start to examine Amanda's body, they are actually having trouble trying to figure out a cause of death. And this is where things get kind of weird because there's no gunshot wound, no stab wound, or any type of major injury to her body. The police are a little stunned because they had figured that they would be able to tell right away what Amanda's cause of death was. Amanda's body was taken to the medical examiner for an autopsy. And when the autopsy came back, her death was undetermined and there was no sign of any type of sexual assault, which left everybody even more stunned and having a lot of questions. Although they could not determine a cause of death, authorities in the medical examiner were still not ruling out any type of foul play. They made the assumption that the killer likely smothered her in a way that would not leave any type of visible evidence. They also checked Amanda's lungs to see if she had been put into the water prior to her death, but there was no traces of water in her lungs, so this left them stumped. The authorities are left with not much to go off of, but they did have a person of interest in her death, and that was her fiancé, Matt. This was mostly because he was the very last person to ever see Amanda alive, and he was the one who found her car. Many times, Matt was brought in for questioning. During each time that Matt was questioned, he was given a polygraph test, and each time he was given that polygraph, he passed it perfectly. The authorities have very little to go off of here, but they believe that this was a crime of opportunity and that this was not somebody who knew Amanda. So eventually, Matt is completely ruled out as a person of interest. They further believe that the person who took Amanda's life was somebody who likely had done this before, which is why they were able to cover their tracks, meaning they believed that they had a serial killer on their hands. One thing that made them believe this assumption so strongly was because there was no signs of struggle in Amanda's car, meaning that whoever did this was able to convince Amanda to either leave her car or allow them to get into her car without hesitation, meaning they likely knew exactly what they were doing. Authorities did manage to put together a profile of the possible killer stating that they believe he was a white male near his 50s and likely lived close to the location. They stated that the ditch was not a well-known place which made them further believe that whoever was responsible for taking Amanda's life lived in the area. While this is a very small town, the profile that the police released did not bring them any closer to Amanda's killer. Her family had the theory that whoever was responsible for her death was somebody who may have resembled a police officer or was impersonating a police officer, and that is why Amanda pulled over her car because her parents always taught her, no matter what you do, when you get pulled over, you abide by their rules. They came up with this theory because of the fact that there was no foul play in Amanda's car. They just know Amanda would never have gotten out of the car to just anyone. Because her family had this theory... The authorities again did their absolute due diligence and gave a polygraph test to every single officer in the area, which is very unheard of 
and every single one of them passed a polygraph test. So her family had to let go of this theory. It has been over 20 years since Amanda's life was taken and her family is still seeking justice. Authorities have stated multiple times that her case is very much still active as they believe this was foul play and are still offering an award for any information leading to her death. However, since Amanda's death, there has been two other women murdered in the area that police believe is now connected to Amanda's murder. On my next Friday episode, I will be covering both of the unsolved murders that are believed to be connected to Amanda. So this story will continue on. Crimeaholics, if you have not already, I highly encourage you to join our Crimeaholics podcast discussion group on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast or you can follow me personally at this is Kenzie, K-E-N-Z-I underscore. Crimeaholics, as always, be aware and take care.